Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Uh, I got a really good friend of mine, brother, with me here today. His name is Paul Wilder. And uh, Paul is a spiritual leader uh, within our group of friends, uh, within mine and Blake's life, um, and within our community. So he has uh, spoken a lot of life into our situations. He's somebody that we go to for counsel um, very squared away dude. Professionally, Paul is a principal. And um, yeah, that's Paul Wilder. Welcome, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I think you guys are going to like hearing from Paul. And today, first off, a little bit of housekeeping, um, exoskin. So Paul also is a huge advocate for exoskin, like me. And uh, Paul also runs Ultras. So Tell me a little bit about your experience with Exoskin, Paul. Well, I, you know, I first started with just the shorts and the long, the capris. And I, my first experience with them was at the Duncan Ridge 50K where I failed, but those pants didn't fail me. Um, I've never run in a pair. My legs rub because I have big quads. I'm a big dude. And I have big hamstrings and big quads, and my hamstrings rub. And uh, Exoskin keeps me from chafing. I've never chafed in an exoskin product, any of the shorts or the capris, and I love the socks. I wear the exototes, and uh got three pairs of those, and uh, I'm eventually going to buy enough so I can wear them every day all the t- all time because <laughs> they just, they never chafe. If you get, if your feet get wet, they don't get as cold because they just wick that moisture away. It seems like I, in the mountains, when that's what I was wearing. I wasn't wearing wool socks. I was wearing exoskins and I put wool on to sleep in. So I yep. love the product. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, uh, I, I've had the same experience, Paul, with all their products and it's just good to hear, hear it from, uh, somebody else, I think, uh, for the listeners. And, um, yeah, guys, if you guys are interested in exoskin, obviously they've got gear to, uh, suit you up from head to toe and go and check them out at exoskin.us. That's exoskin.us. Um, I'll link their website and their social media handles in the show notes to this episode. And also, they have given us, as three of seven podcast listeners, a pro code. That pro code is three of seven. That's the number three of seven. And that will give you 25% off of your purchase from Exoskin until the end of April. And the next sponsor that I want to talk to you guys about is Rugged Meats, and Rugged Meats is an awesome product. They make snack sticks. Um, All of their products are made from grass-fed pork or beef, so grass-fed beef or pasture-raised pork. They have outstanding flavor. I have used them quite extensively over the last few months to fuel me during all of my missions uh, they just really hit the spot. They stick to your ribs. It's a great American company. This company was founded by a fireman and a nurse. Um, I have a, a, a great personal relationship with them aside from business. And I encourage you, if you get out in the mountains, if you go on missions, if you run, if you hike, if you bike, and you need a solid fuel source to get you through your day, check them out. They are at ruggedmeats.com, 
and they have also given us a pro code as three of seven listeners, and it's the same pro code, the number three of seven. That pro code will give you 10% off plus free shipping. Again, that's ruggedmeats.com. All right, Paul, let's dig into this, brother. First thing I want to talk about is the bike ride that we did two days ago. So, like Paul said, he's a bigger dude. He trains a lot in the gym. He's got an awesome gym right here in his basement where where we are recording this episode. Um, He likes to throw some weight around. Uh, He's just a, I mean, he's got a solid build. Uh, He's definitely not built like a like a typical ultra runner or bicyclist. And uh, the, we, we went mountain biking the yesterday, and uh, that's the first time you biked in how long, Paul? I rode a I, – I don't – I think it's been 10 years or 12 years since I've gotten on a bike for, like, more than a mile, and it's probably been 25, about 30 years since I've gotten on a bike for anything over 15 miles, and that was a road bike, so. Yeah. So, and we were on some pretty brutal terrain yesterday. That was good uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were in the hills and on some on some pretty legit trails uh, coming up and down off of a big ridge line. And, you know, the great thing about Paul is, you know, I, he, I, it's not a big deal that, you know, he told me straight up, I haven't biked in 10 years. And I was like, well, that's, that's not a big deal. I still invited Paul to come ride mountain bikes with me because I knew that he was going to push his – physical limit literally to the to the breaking point so it didn't matter to me and what I love about that is uh, like you guys have probably heard me say before you know you have a lot of people that might come to you if you're a coach or a life coach or a fitness coach and you know they come to you and they're like you know I just don't have enough motivation to even get off the couch what should I do like it's so hard for me to work with a person like that. I feel like that's not really my lane, you know what I mean? But if if you've got an individual that may not have a certain skill set, uh, but they have the desire to improve and they're willing to toe the line, you can work with those type of people. And and Paul's one of those people. He it doesn't matter that he hadn't rode a bike in ten years and that wasn't really his forte. Um, I knew he was gonna crush it. So, talk me through that ride, Paul. Because, uh, yeah, it was good, brother. What, what were the what were the highs and lows for you? Well, you know, before we started, I knew it was going to be tough. I've I've ridden a bike enough, even in training, uh, sitting on a stationary bike and turning up the the grid on it, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be. I told Amy before I left, you might want to say a prayer for me. I'm going <laughs> ride a bike, and I know, and I'm going to ride with Chad, so I know I'm going to get uh, coached. But I appreciate that challenge. And so I I honestly did better at the beginning than I thought I would. I figured I'd burn out a little quicker than I did. I lasted a little longer than I thought I would. I knew my breathing would be tough. Um, I'm in pretty decent cardiovascular shape, but not – I don't I don't push my VO2 max much. So I was getting in oxygen crisis pretty quick. So um, – but we got to the road where the House of Dreams where, you know, we – connect to the gravel of the house of dreams and i was really pleased with where i was at that point i was a little more nervous about anytime we went downhill fast i was actually more scared there than i was on the uphills because i was afraid with my balance that i wouldn't haven't you know not having ridden in a while i was worried about what i might do and you know 
I can't really crash and get hurt where I can't work. So, uh, but it was, everything was worked out well. But of course the hardest parts were, were the inclines and learning the gears enough to get it down low enough that you could do some work and stay on the seat. And that's where I experienced some trouble. That's, that was my first major, uh, trying to go up a tough turn, get my feet on the pedals good. Um, you know, we, I failed one time going up that hill and when you said hey let's try this again i i thought yep that's what i need <laughs> so, that but you know that was the, the whole for me that was the most exciting part of the whole ride because me too. yeah i mean we were we were pushing the whole time and you know we were um we were definitely you know pushing our vo2 max and you know trying to keep up with our breath and all those things but we got to that one point that you're talking about and it's a it's a switchback going back up onto the ridge gets really really steep right there and you know i had been talking to you beforehand i knew that steep spot was there and said all right paul hunker down brother you know there's no no stopping on this and and it's not that you stopped it's just that's a hard spot to get up and yeah your your tire slips and then next thing you know you're off your bike and you're pushing your bike up the hill and I don't know, that was just so cool for me. And I don't, I wouldn't have done that with a lot of other people because I don't want to, I don't want to offend people, but I know I, that wouldn't offend you. So we, you know, you push your bike up that steep spot and we get right around the corner. And that's when I look at you and say, now let's try that again. Like, so why did I, I mean, why did I do that? I, I did that because I knew you could make it up that spot right there. And I also did that because I knew if you didn't go back and conquer that little spot right there, you would have been thinking about it. You would have thought about it. You'd have been thinking about it today. Another Duncan Ridge. Yeah, there's no doubt about it because that's just the type of person you are. And so when I said that, you didn't look at me like I was crazy. You didn't argue. You were just like exactly what you said. You knew that's what you needed to do. So you went down. And you gave it another go, right? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I want to back up to a story. I think you'll probably remember when we ran that little eight-mile loop. And we would have run more, but we ran down. You and I and Blake were running down at Barry, and you twisted your ankle. Oh, yeah. And, and so then you still ran with us, and we went back up going around at Barry up a pretty good incline. And I was used to running for a minute, walking 15 seconds, running a minute, walking 15 seconds. So there was a lot of that that my body was used to. And you asked me a question. You took on the coaching role, which I don't get exposed to a lot. Most of the time I'm the one doing the coaching. So it's really been I'm, – I'm appreciative of those opportunities, but I kind of have to shift gears and humble mm -hmm. myself and be led, right? And you said, is there any reason you're not running right now other than it sucks? Yeah. <laughs> and – um. And I just had a moment, a switch went off in my head, and I kind of switched from just hanging out with you guys and running to, okay, I'm fixing to be coached here. And you basically were telling me, don't walk again until we get to the top. And and you gave me some advice that I'd already used at Duncan Ridge, which was break it into small parts, run to the next tree, and have that victory moment by moment. And that same kind of thing began – on that bike ride when you told me to go back down the hill one of the problems i had was you know the pedals one side was toe clip mm -hmm. and the other side was flat but it wasn't a real big surface and i hadn't ridden in a while 
And with the grade, I was having to try to find at least a little bit of a flat spot to get restarted on. And then I'd get started, and I was going so slow, I just couldn't get it under control, my balance. And I was just kind of goofy for a minute. And and that was kind of the critical point of the first lesson was, hey, this is something you're going to conquer, but the first thing you got to do is conquer in your mind. And you told me to close my eyes and visualize myself going up that hill or see it yep. in my mind's eye. And I know all that. I've listened to enough podcasts, read on my own. I've taught people to do that, but to have a coach be able to coach me through that. So I did that. I closed my eyes. A lot of times we act manly and that, like that's stupid or goofy or something, and we don't just execute around something that we know makes sense. And that really made sense to me. I quieted myself. I kind of took a few breaths, closed my eyes, quit thinking about everything else, and just said, basically said to myself some things that I knew would help me and got ready. And you had also coached me on one of the reasons I had to get off the bike was because I stood up mm-hmm. trying to generate more power. But that took the weight off the seat, which took the weight off the back wheel, which is what caused me to have to walk up the hill anyway in the first place. So that victory in that, like having the coaching, having to calm down and get started. And then, when, of course, when I got started, I was able to get up the hill fine. And then you gave me, you did a good job coaching me through giving me enough breaks with, you know, a water break or anything else I needed so that I could push it, but not push it so far that I couldn't, you know, that you couldn't have a reasonable expectation I could continue. So that, yeah, that was a real, and then the rest of the way I went middle gear. I wasn't going back down and I wasn't going to not, I wasn't going to stop again. And uh, so that, yeah, that was was an interesting moment. Well, it was so cool for me, man, because, I got to see that tool of, like you described, quieting your mind and visualizing your success. Because you and I both know, know that you had the physical ability to do that. And I've, I myself have gotten caught up on obstacles before in life where you forget all those tools that, that we know, how to, how to visualize, how to break things down, um, how to make those positive affirmations. and But you get stuck on this obstacle and then before you know it, you're just ramming your head against it, man. Yeah. You're just trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Um, but when you stepped back, you used that visualization and made a, pro- a positive affirmation to yourself, I knew it was going to work. Yeah. I, I had no doubts. I was like, you know, I had no doubts about it. But then to see it work. Um, something that a spot that you had attempted at that point, I think three times, and then you stopped, remembered your tool, used it, boom, yeah, you were right up the hill, man. So that was, I mean, that's always cool for me. And it impacted the rest of the ride because then it, it kind of gave me this launching point of okay, if you can do that, we're not coming up against a bigger hill. There's, you would warn me, hey, this one's gonna be a little bit tough, and and the other thing you kept telling me was to uh, be smooth. And you'd tell me a few other cues, but that one was the one that I knew was my nemesis in life. Like, I like to go fast, rest, go fast, rest. Yep. And sometimes you need to just slow and steady wins, wins the race. You know, sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. Yep. And, and so that really, I was able to practice that through the rest of the ride so that, you know, I'd go up, we'd go up a hill we go down a hill and I was scared to go too fast 
but I would use the flat and the downhill to kind of get me propelled and I'd kind of catch back up so I wouldn't get too far behind you going up the hills. And I just started getting into a rhythm, figuring out the gears better, but the confidence to say, hey, you can fail, but you figured out how to be successful by just using tools that work everywhere else. And, you know, I feel like I practice those tools in life pretty good, but this is something I haven't done in a long time. And it's such a microcosm of real life. You know, I've thought I've used that lesson talking to my kids. I told them the story. I told Amy the story. I've been able to use it talking to my kids about how they have to, you know, hey, chill out. Yeah. Take a deep breath, get your feet under you, and go do it again. Yep. You know, that's it, good, man. Good lesson. So, yeah, lessons from that. Why are we telling you this story, guys? Again, I think one of the main lessons here is – uh, when you're out with your buddies, when you you, you know you're out in, in a group like Paul and I were the other day, hold each other accountable. Um, and it's when, when when it's your when you see the opportunity to step up and hopefully um, you know coach your buddy. You know Paul would have done the same thing for me if we were down here lifting weights, doing something that was a strength of his and not of mine. So hold each other accountable, and when you reach that obstacle. Instead of butting your head against it and expecting a different outcome, think about the tools that you got in your toolbox. Utilize them and watch them work. So, enough about the ride, man. We'll have plenty of those stories like that. Um, we've already got plenty of those stories between Paul and I, but we'll have plenty in the future that we'll share with you guys as um, life unfolds for sure. What I, what I really want to talk to you about today, Paul is a mission statement, man. And I want to start off and want you to tell the listeners, what's the purpose of a mission statement and why is it important? Yeah, you know, I'd, being in schools for years, uh, when I was a younger teacher, we opened a school. And the, the man that's my current superintendent now actually took us to a, through a process of developing a mission statement for our school. And so that was the first experience I had with that. And there were several activities in that I won't go into that, that really yield. But the bottom line was, even at a young age at that point, I was like, well, why are we doing this? But we were starting a new school, so it was so much easier to understand the why, right? And so the reason for a mission, and I've, I've actually you know, often done research about, okay, what's the difference between a vision, a mission, and what's important about them? And I think ultimately – I think a vision is more of the biggest picture, long run, top of the mountain for you. What is your long-term goal of what you would really get to? And I think of mission as kind of your everyday activities of thought. Like, what do I have to have in my mindset every day? The tools in my toolbox written down in a way where they mean something to me. Mm -hmm. So I think the importance of it is just, you know, the Bible says, you know, write the vision, make it plain so they can run it, read it. Um, Every organization, when you read research, talks about the importance of having the of values or beliefs that drive your economic engine or drive what your outputs are going to be. And the vision just kind of, it's like, I think of it like a compass. It actually gives you a true north that you can always know. You know, when we were climbing that mountain, Without the compass, we didn't really know when we're bumping into a tree and climbing through the bushes whether or not we're still going on the same heading, right? So you need something that kind of, when the chaos hits, you know, and the stuff hits the fan, you got to have something that keeps you going in a direction. But fundamentally, before you really know what that direction is, 
it's got to be fed by values. So I think of three things that are important. You've, you've got to have values that are tied to good, solid principles. You know, if I take this pen right here and drop it, we all know what's going to happen. It's gravity. Gravity doesn't care what I think, doesn't care what you think. It doesn't get emotional. It just is. That's a principle. That's a law. So if we can identify those and kind of make decisions in our life consistent with those, and if our values are lined up with good, solid principles, we're going to be effective and successful. So to me, that's the fundamental ingredient to a good vision and a good mission statement. Gotcha. So it's, it's the mission statement is to, to drive everything that uh, the decisions that you make in exactly. life and it's to have it plain, like written, written plain. So it, it can't shift from day to day, depending on what mood you're in. Right. Um, you've got something to go back to and, and check back in with when you make a decision and say, Hey, is this in alignment with my mission statement for my life? Right. And I used to think of some of that kind of stuff as I would read books or listen to people talk about how important it was. And I would kind of, at first, I'd just roll my eyes and go, yeah, whatever. You know, that that's a Fortune 500 company. They need that. I'm just, you know, me. And then as I matured, I started realizing, well, I'm just running a lot more aimlessly than I would if I actually thought about what I want. And so basically the drive for me to start looking into mission and vision and my life came from the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen R. Covey's book. And it's a pretty popular book written in 1989. It's still used today. When we hear people talk about synergy that came from him, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, sharpen the saw. All those are the habits that are in that book. So he starts with be proactive, meaning that your choices matter. And so if your choices matter, basically he's saying it, if you're talking about a computer analogy, you're the programmer. What, how you think, how you talk, and how you act is who you are. You can't blame all of those things on other people. Life circumstances, stuff happens you don't have control over. It rains. You don't have control over whether it's raining. But you can by an umbrella, right? So we, our attitudes and actions are all we have control over. So that's the first habit. The second habit is to begin with the end in mind, and that's where there's two parts to that. And one is think about what you want. If, if your choices matter and the power of your choices actually produce fruit, think about what you want that fruit to be producing. When I was sitting there at the bottom of that hill, I knew what the goal was to get to the top of the hill. But I had to do it in a way that was based on principles. If I left the seat, my tire's going to spin. If I get out of breath because I'm panicking and freaking out and don't calm myself, you know, all of those things that you knew were the good tools for me to remember, if I don't initiate those, they're not going to happen. Well, it's all by choice. But those choices, when, this, when it starts getting exciting and problems are there, you won't go back to principles unless you have a standard of what the end looks like, and that's what a vision is. So um, when we... No, I get, that, that's awesome, brother, and that's... And I want to go in, I want to ask you, Paul, um, what is, now you have a mission statement for your family and for yourself. Yes, so sir. would you be willing to share those with us? Absolutely. So one of the things, what kind of drove me to do that was, you know, researching the habits and those kinds of things. But he talk, Covey talks about the fact that you need to, 
you, there's two parts to the beginning with the end of the mind. One is desired outcomes. So that's even any day. The desired outcome during that bike ride was I finish and not hold you back too much, right? Your desired outcome at that hill was I want to see him conquer this hill, right? We have those desired outcomes that can be moments, can be days, can be a week, can be a project or a mission. But then the longest desired outcome is what? Our life, right? So the second thing he talks about is writing a personal mission statement. So I started that process a long time ago, and I've written three or four really wordy, long, cumbersome statements that talk about everything that I think is important to me that I could never remember. But eventually I landed on what I really believe describes who I am and what I'm about, and that's lead people who matter to do things that matter. So leadership is my passion. It's what I love. It's, you know, it's what I do for a job. It's what I do for a ministry. It's what I do in my home. It's what I do personally. I look at everything through the leadership lens. And the first person I have to lead is me. And so the personal mission statement is the anchor. At the same time, it's the light that points me like the North Star, you know, that I know Lead people who matter, who matters most to me. If I'm not spending time investing in those that matter most to me, my statement means nothing. To do things that matter. If my influence doesn't impact people to actually make decisions that cause them to do things that are productive and effective and they matter, then my mission statement really means nothing, right? And so I would say that principles, guiding and, and the integrity around those, okay, I've got values, I've got principles, and they come together, that's integrity, right? When what I say and I do aligns with what I say I want to be and what I want to do, then I'm feeling pretty good about it. So that lead people who matter to do things that matter, I can always check what I'm doing and say, does that really align? So like when you asked me the other day to do the bike ride, what was the first thing I told you? I got to check with my wife check with your wife yeah why because she i love you but she matters more to mm -hmm. me just like brooke matters more to you so lead people who matter there's a priority structure right and the third habit is put first things first so when i say lead people who matter to do things that matter i have to make sure that i have a priority structure where i know we all have the same amount of time we all had the same tools, but what are we going to do with that time and those tools? And that's what I think a vision and mission statement helps you do. And I like the personal mission statement because I think it's more, it's hard for us, I think, to think way down out, out there, but I think mission, when you think of something, hey, this is a mission, and I like to think of it as what do you want people to say at your funeral? A lot of people think that's more, but that doesn't bother me. I feel like you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're all going to be worm food one day. But while I'm here, what am I going to do with my dash? I've heard people talk about, you know. And I I talked to my kids today. I talked to my kids today about what I want them to say. Or actually, I talked to them about what I don't want them to say. I told my daughter, I don't want, I don't want, I'd rather hear now what you're making fun of me about when I'm 70 so that I can correct it so it's not something you got to make fun of. Mm -hmm. And so my children all have a personal mission statement, and we have a vision and a mission statement for our family. It's on the wall. You've probably seen it before. Yeah. 
And it's uh, to be a godly family, answering the call together, working diligently, serving others for the kingdom. And the simplicity of that is, okay, we, our, our faith is Christianity. We, be, we believe and, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God and that God created us all and he sent his Son to save us. And so to be a godly family to us means that we are putting him first, and then to answer the call together, we believe where I believe all my children are called and they're not called to be me, but they're called to something. And my job is to help them get there. And so when we talk about to be a godly family, answering the call together, my wife and I and the kids are all together in each other's missions. They help me accomplish my mission. I help them accomplish their missions. And it's a team effort. And then of course, working diligently, that's diligence is our way of describing hard work. Diligence is working hard at the right things in the right way consistently, and that's one of our values in our home. And so that's in our statement. And then, of course, I'm serving others. If it's just about us, it's useless. Yeah, we want to make sure we're serving others. So that's the overarching big statement, and that was written first. And the way we wrote that is my wife talked about things that she thought were important, I talked to her about things I thought were important. And at the time, Caleb and Natalie were the only ones old enough to really contribute. And they talked about some things. We just kind of asked them, what do you think is important for us as a family? And they kind of told us a few things, and then we just kind of put that in together. But I pretty much wrote that one with input from Amy and the kids. But our family mission statement is something I'm most proud of because I feel like it really reflects all of us. And I would like to share with the listeners how we came about that because I think anybody can do this. Yeah, no, that's exactly what was going to be my next question. Yeah. What, yeah, how, how does a family sit down uh, and develop something like this, man? We actually did our family mission statement before my kids did their personal mission statements because I felt like it would give them a way to practice it with no pressure. And so we, we sat down with a laptop and a PowerPoint, and I asked them a question, what kind of words describe characteristics that you think are important in life? And they just started calling out things. And, of course, a lot of them were religious answers of, you know, love, joy, peace, long you know, fruits of the Spirit, and things that they'd learned in the Bible. But then some things became, you know, just like treat others the way you want to be treated. We started getting phrases and things, and I typed all of that up. I still got it. And then basically what we did was we talked through what was valuable. We had already talked through what it was important in a family mission statement, why we were doing it. Here's some values. We fed the actual project with what are the words that we think are important. So basically all that was doing was exercising our minds, our spirit, to get the right stuff flowing, right? So we're sitting in the living room. All of us are in there. I can still remember where everybody was. And I started with Timothy because he's my youngest. And I don't remember how old he was at the time. He's probably like six or seven at the time. And I said, you can choose a word on the list because it was, it was on the laptop, but it was projected to the TV. I said, so you can pick a word on the list or you can come up with a totally different word, but I want you to share one word that you think absolutely has to be in the mission statement. And he said, Faith. And I said, okay, why? And he said, because that's how we have to live. We have to live by faith and believe that there's things we can't see that actually impact what we do. 
And he probably didn't say it exactly that way, but that's my interpretation of it. I said, awesome. I let him go first because he was the youngest, and I didn't want anybody to steal his, right? <laughs> and then, uh, so then we go with the next one. Joshua's the next. Joshua said, compassion. I said, all right, why? And he basically articulated something about, you know, actually doing something with love, right? And um, really made me start really thinking about what compassion meant more, you know. And then um, Caleb, I mean, Natalie was diligence. And I asked her, you know, why? And she basically came up with working hard. And uh, you got to work hard and be a diligent disciple. And, and then we got to Caleb, and he said, wisdom. And I said, why? He said, this is the principal thing. You have to know Caleb. He's not very wordy. <laughs> he simply said, you know, it's scriptural. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. And all that getting, get wisdom, right? And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So, so we had these four words. And then basically I just took those words and said, okay, how can we make this flow into one thing? And it's so funny because now I use those words as my own my personal mission statement is to lead people who matter to do things that matter, but my faith is important to me. And faith is not just a religious term. It's even like no matter what you're dealing with in a challenge is what you're trying to do is accomplish something you haven't seen yet. And that's what faith is. It's believing, it's hoping for, earnestly expecting to see something that you can't see right now. And so faith is important. Compassion, you know, compass passion i think compassion is simply love with a direction and energy right compass is the direction passion is the energy love feeds it right and so those four words then of course diligence is the one that you know my granddaddy and my dad they just taught me my dad would come home with a tie on from the job he worked in an office all day take his tie off put on work clothes and take us out to pull weeds just to teach us how to work. And he'd already worked his eight to five. And so diligence has always been. So our family mission statement, I'm going to read it so I don't mess up one little word, but we will live by faith while growing in the knowledge of God and wisdom while working diligently to become doers of his purposes for us while demonstrating compassion toward others. Well, that's all cute. But when we, we do a family meeting every Sunday night, most of the time, we're able to get all four of them there and us. But when we do that, we revisit both the vision and the mission and say, hey, how are we doing? And last week, I, I think I shared with you last weekend, we just had this conversation about, hey, if your personal mission statement, because the kids were articulating that, you know, they knew it, but they didn't really know it. And I wasn't fussy or ugly, but I was kind of like, hey, if it doesn't really matter to you, either rewrite it. So it does, or adjust your life. But that needs to be an integrity. It needs to, it needs to matter to you um, what your personal mission statement is because you are the creator. God gave you the ability to create your own destiny. He gave us, you know, I believe in Genesis, he said that he created the heavens and the earth, and he said, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. So we're responsible for everything around us, and it starts with our own choices, of course, and our choice to take care of the property we have, choice to be good stewards of the gifts and talents and tools that we have in our tool belt, 
And I think the personal mission statement just really helps us go back and check. Am I doing what I said I was going to do? Is what I said important actually what I'm doing, which is what integrity is, right? So Yeah, yeah, totally, man. And what I think the in, the, the interesting thing about you sharing with me the other night when you had, you know, during your family meeting, you told your kids, if this mission statement is no longer important to you, then either adjust your life or change it. And, you know, I thought about that. So as our lives change, as we grow, maybe we have children, maybe if, you know, at their age, they're, they're moving from high school to college or from college to their uh, you know, their first career, whatever it may be, whatever point you are in your life, um, I think that it would be smart to reassess your mission statement and make sure that it's still relevant and it's still important to you. But the key word right there is that that reassessment has to be done with integrity. That's the key word because when you go to reassess that mission statement that you've written out for yourself, you've got to be honest enough with yourself to say, well, do I want to rewrite this thing because I don't want to live this way anymore? I don't want to hold myself to this standard anymore? Or do I want to re rewrite it because my life has changed and I need something that's guiding me along my new direction that I'm now going? So... That integrity is the key word in that, and um, I, you know, I hope everyone knows what integrity is. It's making the right decision when no one else is watching. Um, it's making the right choice. For instance, in this instance, to change your mission statement when nobody's going to hold you accountable. Your your mission statement is for you. Um, so that's what integrity is, anyways. I went through the family mission statement, and then I took the kids through a process for their own personal mission okay. statement. That's the one thing I, I realized I didn't share. Basically, I have kind of a – the way I led them, I encourage people. Like, I take a lot of people through a process of thinking through the seven habits, and, of course, we land on this writing of a personal mission statement. So I talk through – I encourage people to Google. Some people – really like to see a lot more ideas. I don't think a personal mission statement always has to be a statement. I think it could be a portion of a poem. It could be a picture. It could be a coat of arms for your family. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And there's other people out there a lot smarter than me probably that have come up with ways that work for them. But I'll share what worked for us. And my kids' personal mission statements, I think, fit them perfectly. And we revisit with them. I listen to them telling me why they chose the words they chose, and it's enriching. It's not, they're not being grilled. It's us enjoying a conversation. So I ask them, the first thing I do is I ask them for identifying what are some of their favorite quotes or scriptures or sayings, you know, so leave it real open to, because, you know, sometimes there's great quotes like Henry Ford, you know, talking about, you know, chop your own wood, it'll heat you twice, you know, that's a good diligence quote, right? You know, so starting off with that, of course, uh, scriptures that people remember, um, maybe even sayings like some of the mantras, you know, don't die in the chair. Some of those things may be things that drive our value system, right? So that's what we're doing, attaching with our value system. The second thing I talk about is who are your heroes? 
and why. I think it's important to develop and really talk about that why with somebody. Because when you articulate some of this with somebody else, it comes more alive to you, right? And so who are some of your heroes? And so a lot of times, you know, for me, you know, it's my dad, my granddad, you know, we were talking, Amy and I were talking about the other day, I've already written my, my mission statement, but you're one of my heroes, you know, just, I love the simplicity of what I'm able to learn as I'm being coached by you and some of the mantras and some things I've learned through your podcast. So identifying some of those things, those values that other people have that you share is a great thing because we're in community together. And so we don't, there's nothing, no one owns the right to say that's my value, right? Over, you can't take that. No, we, we borrow, beg, and steal from each other, right? So that heroes is a thing. And then I ask them, what do you want people to say? I have two ways of looking at it, and this is from Stephen Covey. The 80th birthday party. You're getting ready to blow out your candle because they couldn't put 80 on the cake because it broke fire code, right? So you're sitting there in front of this cake with this number 80, and you're about to blow out the candle. What do you want people, prior to you blowing out that candle, to say about your life and how you've contributed to theirs? The most important people at that table, who are they? And what do you want them to say about you? And if you, you can't influence that at 80, you have to influence it at 47 and at 22 by intentionality and integrity, right? So that's a big way. Or, you know, you obviously can use what I used earlier, the eulogy, the funeral. What do you want people to say at your funeral? It, I ask my kids now those kind of questions. Like, I point blank ask them. What are things that I do that get on your nerves? And I actually start it with, I go ahead and break the ice and tell them some things I know get on their nerves because I can see it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So that I can develop and change and show humility before them. If I can lead myself that way, then I can encourage them to. And, and so that's, that's kind of how they started it. They wrote those three things down and we talked through that. And then I get them to... So now identify what are the key parts to your mission statement that you want. And honestly, that work of doing those kind of questions doesn't always produce much in terms of the statement, but the work itself kind of gets the juices flowing. And then, and then, of course, the last thing I use, I like the three Ps. So I had them think about what do you think your purpose is, what is your passion, and what are the principles that matter? So I have this little leadership acronym I use, CPR. C is courage, commitment, and conquer. And then P is the principles. What are the principles you want your life to be governed by? Purpose. What is the purpose you're living for? Why are you doing what you're doing? And what's the passion that's driving that? And so, and then R is respect, responsibility, and right. And so... When we walk through some of those things and we fed all this stuff, values, virtues, what matters to you, then they just start writing. And it took them, some of them longer than the others, but, it, you know, I didn't even revisit it with them until about six or seven months later, basically because I got busy and forgot. <laughs> and then when I finally remembered, a couple of them had something down, some of them didn't. And, uh, and then we just finished, everybody finished them 
about probably eight months ago. And um, it's something that's been new. You know, it's something we've lived, we've done for a lot. The family mission statement's been active, been going for about three years. It's been on the wall for about three years. And we've used it to lead our family meetings and that kind of stuff for a while. But the personal mission statement for the kids is fairly new to them. But it's such an awesome thing to drive a good conversation with your kids or with people that matter to you. Yeah, yeah, so. and that and that was going to be one of the questions I I was going to ask, and I'm glad you answered it. Is you know what are the what are the time, what are the time parameters on something like this? So this isn't something that has to happen uh, right then when you sit down. Don't don't think that you're going to sit down and come up with uh, a mission statement for your life in 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 an hour. You know, and, and you're talking about it. You know, taking months and uh, of of thinking and considering and, and and being diligent and spending time on it. Um, and I think that's awesome because something that takes that amount of time, uh, it's going to be more valuable to you uh, when it finally all comes together. So I would say don't put any time constraints on this. Just make sure you're diligent about it. And um, I wanted to know, Paul, if you could share with me a story, man, that – uh, at some some time in your life where your mission statement helped guide a decision that you had to make. Take your time. Well, it's something that just popped into my head um, is, you know, I, I'm an elementary principal. I was at an elementary school for about 11 years, and I got moved to a new school. And everybody was watching me for how I was going to respond. Did I really want to move? Did I ask for the transfer and all of those kinds of things? And what had had for years, I'd been at a school that I, you know, I, it was kind of getting comfortable. I'd kind of questioned whether or not I needed a change. In other words, just to keep me accountable. But I even had conversations with my bosses that, hey, if I can't continue to refresh and continue to set new vision and make sure every year I'm recharging and remotivating what's up with me and that's kind of how that lead people who matter to do things that matter came and about two years before I moved schools was when that happened and I took teachers through the training of seven habits and all of those kind of things and that kind of when you teach other people things then they start looking through a different lens when they're looking at you so you're kind of get held accountable for some of the things you say right and what you say matters and so I really wanted to live in integrity around those things so when I go into a meeting and I get moved, every year I knew that there was the potential for that when I'd been at that school for so long. And I just remember my response to that situation was peace and joy because not only did I believe that I was living my mission statement to lead people who matter, to do things that matter, I didn't want to leave my people because they were my people. And I loved them. And I was a hornet. You know, this was a Hiram Elementary School. I was a Hiram Hornet. But when my boss, who I'm submitted to, and who I trust and believe has his steps ordered, believes and had made a decision that he feels like is good for the school I'm going to, I just, I felt like people trust me to value them and lead them in a way 
that's good for the institution, but also good for them and good for kids, right? Well, the same thing had to be true. I want teachers to believe I have their best interest at heart. I want kids to believe I love them and care about them and want their want the best for them. I have to believe and trust the same thing and have upward loyalty and downward loyalty the same. So I kind of gave my mission statement to the men who were moving me to a new school. In other words, I believed that they believed they were leading me and I mattered to do something different that mattered to the district. So I felt like it was a win-win, a good move. But I think it was because I chose to continue to be in control of, first of all, I submit and humbly submit to the leadership authority. I support their decision. I don't go whining about, well, you know, I'm leaving after 11 years. I really don't want to leave y'all. But I also don't act like, well, man, I'm so glad I'm finally going. All of those people matter. It mattered the people I left trying to, walk through that graciously and, you know, demonstrate love and compassion for them, get them set up for success as I'm leaving while I'm trying to enter a new place and embrace being a rocket now. And uh, it's been a great move and a great transition, but it was a big transition in my life. And probably the biggest thing is with my family, the only goal I've ever had in my life, truly. The reason I chose the career I chose was because I wanted to have a schedule where I could be very intentional and lead my family. And I have four kids and a wife, and I live on the property with my father-in-law and mother-in-law. My father-in-law recently passed, but this property he purchased so that we could all be together as a family, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live on the property with us. I love family. And one of our recent family meetings a couple of years ago, it was about a year ago, I told the kids, all the goals I've ever had for my life in about five years I'm going to accomplish. Because when Timothy graduates, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Everything I ever had a goal to do. But when I rewrote that fam- that personal mission statement of lead people who matter to do things that matter, it reinvigorated and gave me new purpose. And, um, and it really aligns well with what you guys do with 3 of 7 of, you know, I want to constantly live a life in balance and influence who I'm supposed to and stay in my lane and not be disappointed when I don't get the credit or accolades I think I deserve or not be arrogant enough to think I deserve them, but also demonstrate a high level of integrity and diligence toward things that really matter, you know, and it doesn't really matter if they matter to other people. Do they matter to me? And if you don't have a personal mission statement or at least have some type of work around that, how do you really know what matters to you? And like I said, it may not look like a statement for some people, but I think it's important that you do invest time thinking about what matters. I love that, man, and I love that story that you shared and how your mission statement actually helped you in that transition um, and, and helped guide your your actions, your thoughts, and your words throughout that process. But I also love how that personal mission statement now is also helping you reset your goals. Um, You know, when you have a a mission statement like you have, 
lead people that matter, to do things that matter, there's no shortage of people that matter. And there's no shortage of, of people that need some leadership in, in their lives, somebody like you in their lives. So you, because of, of the mission statement you've set for yourself, you basically uh, now have a goal to focus on for the rest of your life as it goes from person to person. And, you know, man, you, you lead, you lead Blake and I, um, when we have, when we have problems within our marriage, when we have problems within our business, when we have problems within our relationship with God, uh, you know, we have got to the point that we depend upon you, uh, to lead us. And, um, yeah. Thank you, brother. I mean, you're living it out every day, and, um, you know, I love it, man. Uh, last thing that I want to hit you with, I think all this is, is awesome. I think it's awesome uh, because a lot of people are sitting at home right now, and they may be bored, and they may be looking for things that are or, or that can be productive in their, you know, and improve the quality of their lives, not only right now in the moment, but in the years to come. So this is a wonderful time. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a wonderful time in time to get to work on something like this, man. Absolutely. Mm. Not only as an individual, but um, as a family unit. Last thing I want you to share with our audience is that little saying that you have about body, soul, and spirit. And it starts with spirit-led. Spirit-led, soul-fed, body-dead. All right. Best life is ahead. Roger that. And I think we'll do another pot. Say that one more time, Paul. It's a spirit-led, soul-fed, body-dead, best life ahead. I love it, man. And I want to have another podcast soon with me, you, and Blake, to where we run through that. Um, you've got a ton of, uh, you know, experience. You've got a ton of uh, insight on body, soul, and spirit. You know, I'd love to pick that, just that single statement apart. I mean, I feel like that would be a half-hour conversation in and of itself. And um, I think a lot of people get kind of, it gets blurry when you're talking about the soul and spirit, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, um yeah, guys, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, let us know what you think. Uh, drop a comment when we post it on Instagram or drop us a comment or a review in uh, Apple iTunes. And uh, you guys will be hearing more from Paul as we push forward and get into that conversation about body, soul, and spirit. I hope that you got something out of this episode. I know that I did, and I hope and challenge you to sit down and begin this process for yourself. Uh, that way you have something to guide your decisions, your thoughts, your actions, your words from this point forward. If you anybody ever needs any help, hit, hit me up on Instagram. Talk to Chad. Chad can get you in touch with me. I think just the value of showing that you care enough about somebody in your life to go through that process with them. I'd encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member, whatever, you know, whatever your dynamic is, it'll change your life because you take control. A hundred percent, brother. And thank you so much for being on the show, Paul. Um, obviously it's always a pleasure, man. I will uh I'll link or I'll tag Paul's 
uh, in the uh, in the Instagram posts, so you guys can go and follow him and everything that he's got going on. And um, I think that's it, brother. Sounds good. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said. <laughs>